In one of our small groups a couple of weeks ago at my house, we were talking about words that we were in. I think it was John 14. We were studying that word, and we just noticed how uh, John and his gospel, he writes such simple words that's very easy to uh, read, but it is so hard at times to understand. He doesn't write like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those We call those the synoptic gospels. They follow a very similar pattern of events, overlap, often corresponding to the same events in Jesus' life. But John is different. John writes his autobiography in a different way for a different purpose, really highlighting just a couple, a handful of events and giving us this great detail. And yet he writes with language anyone can understand, but in packed in there, God put a depth of knowledge that we said you can read one or two inches on the pages of Scripture, and yet you can go a mile or two deep in those few words that, that Jesus gives to us, that John writes for us. And maybe some of the hardest deepest stuff in the Bible, maybe even just in John's writing, is found in John chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. Words that we have to look at today. Words that if you have a red letter Bible where Jesus' words are just put in red, you'll notice as you turn page and page and page and page, it's just red. It's all just red. It's this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples on that night before he, uh, night before he died. It's this it's so good, so deep, so exhausting on the mind. You have to take it chunk by chunk, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take some of that dialogue, only this is not dialogue with his disciples, it's dialogue with his Father. We get to look at some words, unpack some of this deep, beautiful knowledge that God gives us, primarily on the subject of prayer. Now, when it comes to prayer... I have yet to find the Christian who has said to me, I'm killing it when it comes to prayer. You know, Pastor Cook, I, I got this prayer thing down. I am good. I am knocking it out of the park. I've got it figured out. I, if, if I were to ask you, raise your hands right now. How many of you would say that you really feel comfortable with your prayer life right now? How many would you, raise your hands. It's about what I expected. There's something about our prayer life. There's something about prayer that causes, uh, it's good, but it causes a certain frustration. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about if I were to ask you to pray on the spot, like we're in a meeting or in a conversation, and I say, hey, could you offer a prayer? And you know the flush of anxiety that suddenly comes over you, and you just become like dead men. You're a pillar of salt. You, you don't say anything. I'm not talking about that. Although that's maybe another thing we can work on in another sermon for another time. What I'm talking about is why so many people talk to me and say, Pastor, maybe more than anything else, Pastor, help me with prayer. Because I don't feel like it's working. I, I hear things like, you know, Pastor, I'm, uh, I'm praying and nothing seems to be happening. And I'm praying persistently, Scripture tells us to do that, and nothing is happening Am I saying something wrong? Am I doing it wrong? Is it what I'm praying for that God says, oh, come on. Is he mad at me? Is he upset at me? Is it too small? Is it too great of a thing? What am I doing wrong? And I think nine times out of ten, the, the thing that we have to understand with prayer is we first have to understand our frustration not, isn't necessarily with the content of our prayer, but probably 
our misunderstanding of what prayer actually is and how it's kind of this window into our soul of how we relate and appreciate and view God. And so if we kind of confessed already that, yeah, we could all use a little improvement in this area, then it's so good that we get to look at just that, a a prayer. But not just any prayer this morning. This is a prayer. This is the Lord's prayer himself, the Lord Jesus, praying to his Father God. And we get this this one-on-one intimate view, bird's eye view, this window into a conversation that the Trinity has with itself. And it is just jam-packed with so much that we're only going to take even just a small section of this small section because we could exhaust it for weeks. And I believe that if you really take to heart what Jesus is saying here, that it will change, it will transform, it will revitalize your prayer life, but also you'll have a better grasp and understanding of what prayer really is, and that will shape the way you pray and how you pray and what you pray to God, so maybe you're less frustrated and more more understanding and more confident in your prayer life that God wants you to be. But I warn you, it's deep. Like this section of scripture is, is heavy, just like any of these sections in John's gospel. So give me as much attention as you can and maybe say a prayer that I can explain this in the best possible way to give God the glory and to help you too. Already in the first verse, the first sentence of his prayer, Jesus gives us a bunch. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And I stared at that verse in my study for a long time this week saying, what? <laughs> what, what, what is he saying here? Uh, let's take it, the first section here. Father, the hour has come. The hour. What are we talking about, the hour? Well, every time John in his gospel brings up this phrase, the hour, it is always referring to Jesus' coming death. The hour has come. The Son of Man, right? It's always talking about Jesus and the death that he has to die for us. And this Again, this is Monday, Thursday night. This is less than 24 hours before he faces his crucifixion on Golgotha. And he says, essentially, God, it's time for me to die. So let me glorify you in it. He looks at this horrible, terrible thing and says, God, this is going to be bad. This is going to be rough. So let it bring you glory. And I think it makes us scratch our heads a little bit because... When we think about this prayer, we'd say, already, that's kind of the opposite of what we would pray for. If we were in a similar situation where, in less than 24 hours, we just may very well be facing the prospect of our doom, we would probably go to God on our knees and say, God, spare me from this thing. God, keep me from this thing. God, please don't let this thing happen to me. Because I'll let you examine your own lives, your own prayer lives in your own heart, but I don't think it's a small thing for me to say the thing that drives us to the throne of God more in prayer, nothing drives us to prayer more than negative circumstances. 
I've got this bad thing that's happening. This, this potential awful thing is on the horizon. God, protect me from it. And that's the thing that we pray about. It's not just what drives us to prayer. It's the content of our prayers. The thing we say is, rescue us, relieve us from these negative things. This horrible thing is happening, so God, please take it away. Please spare me from this thing. Please relieve this from my life. Relieve this from their life. Maybe I'll illustrate it this way. Uh, let's say that I have the inside scoop on your tomorrow. That God has told me that you might potentially lose someone or something that you love the most. Your health, your spouse's health, a friend, uh, your job, your career, your car, your house, your dog, your guinea pig, whatever it is. You might lose that thing tomorrow. I have a feeling that if I told you that, you would say, I'm going to prayer. And you would be on your knees and you would be praying through the night, God, please spare this thing. Do not let this happen. God, protect me, preserve me from this. But let me change that just slightly. If I were to instead say that you might lose that thing tomorrow, but instead I said you will, God has already ordained it. You will lose that person, that thing that you love tomorrow, but still go to God in prayer. So many people would say, why? What's the point? Like, it's already a done deal. My prayer is not going to change the fact that I'm still going to lose this thing, this person tomorrow, so what good will that do me? And do you see what that does? Do you see what that reveals to us? Like, right there, that reveals to us that Pretty much the primary way, the primary reason we go to God in prayer is to change my negative circumstances. And already there's so much that we can see and learn in the simple prayer. When Jesus looks at his prayer, he doesn't, he doesn't say, God, spare me from this. God, take this thing away from me. God, don't let this bad thing happen. No, instead he looks at the inevitability of his death in less than 24 hours. He sees how hard, how gruesome. He looks at the hell that he is going to face. And he says, Father, let it bring you glory. Let this thing glorify and honor and praise you. And what this reveals to us is not just a difference in the content of prayer, what Jesus would pray versus what we would pray. What this reveals to us is really an entirely different approach to understanding prayer and to understanding the way we relate to God, the way we appreciate God. What exactly do I mean? When I teach my catechism students every year, when we get to the subject of prayer, I ask them every year, all right, so what is prayer? Like someone asks you on a Someone's not really familiar with the Christian faith. So what's prayer? How would you define what prayer is? And almost inevitably, I'll get an answer from someone that says, prayer is a way for us to ask God for things. Which isn't wrong. It's just not a complete answer. And I don't ever stop there. We always complete the answer because if we don't, if that is our understanding of prayer, just a way to ask God for things, it's just... So he can shower down blessing on us and whatnot, then, then what that could potentially do is actually harm your relationship with God. How so? What do, what do I mean? Well, let me illustrate it to you this way. 
Some of you know that at the cookhouse, the biggest problem that we have right now is our dryer. You can't call it a dryer because it doesn't really dry anything. It just is a spinny thing that wastes a lot of electricity, right? That's not doing anything. So what if I call the repairman up? And I call him up, and he comes to my house, and we start talking. I start telling him, okay, so here's what it was doing. Here's the things that I had done for it. Here's what I've seen. Here's what I've observed. And you're the expert, but I'm just cluing you in on what happened. And so he starts taking screws out, taking the thing apart, and starts looking at it. He's asking me questions, and over the course of a couple hours, we're trying to troubleshoot it, and I'm just giving him feedback about what happened. And then afterwards, he puts everything back together. He packs up his tools, puts them in his van, and he's about to leave, and then he says, hey, um, you want to grab a beer sometime and hang out? I might think to myself, uh, what? <laughs> Like, what, what does that have to do with my dryer? And maybe he says, well, well, nothing. Your dryer's shot. That thing is beyond saving. I can't fix that thing at all. I can't figure out what's going on. But, you know, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I think he'd be kind of a cool guy to hang out with and maybe get to know. I'd like to think I could have a friendship with you. I might say I'm flattered. But that's not why I called you here. I called you here to fix my dryer. I didn't call you here for relationship. Is that how you view God in prayer? Because you see, our triune God, by definition, is a relational God, the Father in relation to the Son, in relation to the Holy Spirit, before the world began. We'll talk about that again. And the one thing that he wants from you is not just you, he wants your heart. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. So how do you think he feels when the only way we view prayer, and likely a window into your soul of how you view God, the way you view God, hey, God, I've got this bad situation in my life and I need you to fix it. And I need you to get on board with my agenda ASAP, as fast as you can. And by the way, I'll call you again when I need something else fixing. Could you imagine any single relationship functioning that way on a foundational level. Now think of a, of a friend, if that's how they viewed you. That instead of calling you and texting you and coming over to hang out and to see you and get to know you, hey, I got some tickets to the concert, hey, we're going to go out to this restaurant, why don't you come on out with us, hey, let's... No, the only time they call or text or hang out with you is when they need something from you. Hey, need you to do me a favor. I need a solid from you. Hey, can you, uh, can you do this for me? Hey, can I borrow this thing from you? Can I use this? Can I have this thing from you? And that was it. You can see it wouldn't take too long before that friendship runs very thin and you cut the cord. Let me say it in another way. Can you imagine if this is how children would view their parents? It's Mother's Day. Moms, can you imagine if your kids just viewed you 
as a way to get something for their own life. That you, all they care about is you is that you're their personal chauffeur for free, by the way. You have to drive them from point A to point B. They just need you to get them from school and back to sports and back to their friend's house and back to whatever it is. And by the way, they're looking at the clock. You better be on time. Because if you're not, they're going to let you know about it. But you're not just a chauffeur. No, you also double as a mobile bank. And your purse is the free ATM withdrawal. Mom, I need some money. Here you go. And that was it. And dad, dad, when did they come to you? Not to talk, not to hang out, but instead, I need fixing this thing needs to get fixed, Dad. This thing is broken. This thing needs repair. Could you fix this, Dad? Could you give me permission to do this? And that was it. They never wanted to get to know you. And by the way, on top of that, anytime you said no, anytime you denied them, anytime you said that's not what we're going to do, they get mad, they get angry, they get bitter. Maybe they even give you the silent treatment. Like, that would break your heart. That would kill you. Why do you think it would do anything less for God? Like any friendship would not last that way. Any, any father, mother, son, daughter, child relationship would kill you. I don't want you to just want me for stuff. I want you to want me. I want you to know me. I want you to delight in me. Why would we think God wants anything less? And that's why I love the opening line that we're still on to this prayer. Jesus doesn't say, remove this. He doesn't say, I have this problem. God, can you fix it? He just says, God, this is happening. And so help me glorify you. But this event, all I care about is that this would bring you honor and praise and glory. It's so different than the way we pray, isn't it? We so often, maybe more often than not, go to God in prayer for things. But yet you see here Jesus goes to God in prayer, not asking for things, but seeking to give God glory in all things. Now someone might say, but wait a second, aren't you forgetting the Garden of Gethsemane, Pastor? You know, that, that deep, other, intimate, one-on-one -on -one prayer that Jesus has with the Father where he says with sweat, like drops of blood, Father, let this cup be taken from me. Doesn't he pray right there, take this circumstance away from me, take this cross away from me? I would say, yes, he does. But what does he say right after that? Yet not my will, but your will be done. God, the thing I want most, the thing I want more than the circumstance is for your will to be done. It's for you to be honored and praised, magnified and glorified. And before I move on, let me be absolutely clear. I am in no way insinuating that it is wrong to pray for a change in circumstances. No. Like you've, you've heard our prayers on, on Sunday mornings, right? Half of them are intercessory. 
We pray for changed circumstances for people all the time. It is good to pray for those things. Jesus himself says, go, ask the Father. Go seek him out. Ask him. It is a good thing for you to do that. Of the 220 recorded prayers that we have in Scripture, you will find so many prayers and so many people praying for changed circumstances, praying that these negative things would be removed from their lives. But I would say in the other prayers and even in those people's lives, that's not the primary thing that they're using prayer for. But the primary want from them is to glorify God, is to know him in the negative thing, to know him in this circumstance that his will is done, that they can deepen their their relationship and their understanding of him and glorify and magnify him. And I got to say, if we take this to heart, can you imagine what would happen with our lives? Can you imagine if we saw prayer not just as a means to an end for our lives, but as a way to, to deepen our relationship with God? That we didn't just view him as Mr. Fix-It Repairman, but we, review, we viewed him as God, that whatever the circumstances, God, I want to know you. I want to be able to glorify you in this thing. Can you imagine if we stopped thinking, God, you got to get on my schedule, my timetable, my agenda, and we had the humility to admit, you know, maybe I am just a little bit bent inward. Maybe I am a little bit selfish. Maybe I am flawed and God kind of is, oh, I don't know, perfect. And just maybe then his agenda is what I should be getting on with because maybe he knows things a little bit better than I do. Can you, can you imagine what would happen to us, to our church, if our hearts beat in rhythm with God and his will? Can you imagine the stability that would come in your life if we believed this and acted out in faith in this way? Because the fact is, hardships are going to come. In fact, Jesus just said this, the verse right before this. I know, now we're going backwards. The verse right before this, Jesus just got done. It's like he summarized his entire conversation with his disciples in this one verse. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So many times we think peace is just an absence of negative circumstances, and Jesus says, not at all. He says in the next verse, in this world you will have trouble. We live the American life, I know, and our idea, the American dream, is a slice of heaven here. No problems. God, keep everything in my life comfortable and free. And Jesus says, you will have trouble. Bank on it. Guaranteed, in a fallen, sin-filled world, with you, a fallen, sin-filled person, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. And when these bad things happen, when the, when the doubts and when the anxieties and the fears start to creep into your heart, what if that through prayer, it was a way for you to talk to, you could lasso the promises of heaven, of God, and bring the glory down into your life, bring it into your heart, the promises, and kick out the fears, kick out the anxieties, and say, I am having trouble. And yet my number one desire is to know you, to focus not on what is seen, but what is unseen, God. Like Paul said in another lesson, I'm wasting away outwardly, but inwardly. God, your promises, what you give me on the pages of Scripture remind me of these things. 
and lift me up so I can have peace no matter what the circumstances. Easier said than done, I know. So how do we get there? How do we change our lives that way? And I'll tell you, it's not going to happen by me just saying, go out there and try, guys. Give it the good old try. Go ahead and try harder. Go ahead and just just go for it. The only way this is going to happen is if we view and magnify our God, not as just someone who can give us a lot of stuff, but as someone who is a good, is the giver, is, is what our hearts really want anyways. How can we get to that level of appreciation? It's really laid out for us in the rest of these verses. Verse 3, Jesus prays, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, that is so interesting. Bring me the glory I had with you before the world began. What's he talking about? Before anything was even created, what the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were doing is they were glorifying each other. And if you want a metaphor of what it means to love someone, they were delighting in each other. They were lifting each other up. They were praising each other. They were magnifying each other. They were glorifying each other. And they said, you know what's going to make this better? Is if we have someone else to share in this glory. And they made man. They made mankind to share in the glory of God. And it was good until it wasn't. Until mankind said, no, I don't want your glory. I want my glory. I don't want to love you. I want to love myself. But God had a rescue plan. And that rescue plan meant sending Jesus Christ. But he had to give up his glory. What do I mean by that? How did Jesus give up his glory? Well, he left heaven. The incarnation, how he was born of the Spirit and a woman. He humbled himself. He still had the glory, though. If you remember the Transfiguration account, it's there. But when did he lose his glory? It was on the cross. When in that moment, he cries out in a horrific cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know, so many of you know, that is the only time when he calls out to God, but he cannot call him Father. He does not call him Father. Why? Because in that moment, the Father is severing the relationship he has with his Son. It is cut Because he is suffering sin. He is suffering your sin for all the selfish nature that we so often have. He is paying for that. Suffering hell in our place. He is forfeiting his glory. Why? Why would God do that? So you could have it. So you could share his glory. So you could experience it one day with him in eternity. That's why he did it. He cut himself off from the Father so you could be grafted into the Father. So you could have a relationship with the Father. And that is the only way that your prayer life will change. 
not just the content of your prayers, but the way you approach God in prayer. Gazing on everything that Christ says here and did for you to give God glory, to give you glory, that will increase your appreciation for God more and more and more so that you'll turn to God in all circumstances and not just want his gifts, his stuff, but that you'll want him. And when you have that as your relationship, that will control and dictate everything that you go to God for in prayer. Yes, change circumstances. But you'll also be able to say, God, no matter the circumstances, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to delight in you. I want to glorify you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you tell us to come and seek your throne and ask you anything. Just like a a child goes onto the lap of his father, that's how we approach you. There's nothing too small for us to ask you. And you do tell us to ask for changed circumstances. So lead us to do that. Lead us to ask for things on our behalf. Lead us to ask for blessing in our life, but also blessing in other lives. But lead us not to primarily seek those things but instead lead us to primarily seek you, to know you in all things, that when trouble and hardship comes, because it is guaranteed to come, that we would reach out to you in prayer and that we would be confident that no matter what happens, because of your promises, because of your son, because of everything that you have done for us, that we would get to know you more, that we'd be able to pull down your presence, your promises into our lives to experience your glory and that, that that would change our lives. Help us grow in our prayer lives to appreciate you more and more until one day we get to partake in your glory fully and experience it face to face. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.